Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. Man, it is getting cooler down here. It is. It actually was chilly this morning oh. when I walked outside. Man, it felt good. What was it? It was down to like 58 degrees or something. Oh, I don't I know. I thought I was going to freeze. I almost put a sweater on. I know. We need we need sweaters down here. We're going to need them in December, too. Yes. December 5th through the 7th, you can come to Florida when it's nice. Yeah. And uh, we are having our Founders Conference down here on the law and the gospel. Uh, you can still register for that conference. We would love to have you come join us. It's December the 5th through the 7th, and the, the days together are going to be chock full of uh, good opportunities and activities. We're going to have a deep discount on our books. We'll have a great bookstore available. Uh, we're also going to open up the warehouse, which we've never done before, the Founders Warehouse, and this studio. People will be amazed at how intricate this studio is when they tour it. You know? <laughs> intricate. <I don't laughs> it's intricate. <laughs> it is. A, that's one word for it. Yeah. Uh, so we'll do that. And um, I think, what else we got going on? We're going to show the Cynodoc, right? Yes, we're oh. going to show the film By What Standard. So we um, are very much looking forward to the release of this film. We have now gone over the alpha version, and we're working through it. And boy, mm. do, I mean, I'm telling you, when I watched it, I thought, this is excellent. Yeah. So I'm very much looking forward to it being released. And uh, we thought it was so good when we kind of taken our first look at it. We figured we'd devote this whole podcast to talking about the film, uh, kind of a behind-the-scenes look into the film by what standard. So uh, I know I've had people asking me this question, Tom. Maybe you can get us started off. People just say, hey, why did you make it? Like, how, how did the making of this film come about? Yeah, it's interesting to think back over that because it, it seems like we've been doing this now for a couple of years or so. Mm. But it was a couple of years ago when I first had anything put on my radar that things are kind of sketchy going on, beginning to come into the church. And so through conversations with you and others and looking and reading, it would begin to say, yeah, yeah, th- this isn't right. Or could this, why are these things being said? Why is this being tolerated? And these types of institutions and agencies that heretofore have been very trustworthy. So that began to raise our antenna in our conversations. And then in February of this year, PBS released for the first time on the Internet, on YouTube, a documentary that was filmed, I think it was 20, 25 years ago or so. It was right after Al Mohler became president at Southern Seminary. And that documentary was called Battle for the Minds. And it was produced by a man whose mother had wanted to be a pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention and couldn't be because of the shift that was taking place in the convention, returning to a more conservative, uh, submissive understanding of God's Word, taking the authority of God's Word seriously. So it's what's been known as the inerrancy controversy in the SBC. Yeah, listen to this phrase on the internet about battle for the minds this is somebody explaining the documentary says documentarian Stephen Lipscomb uh, explores an intense rivalry between two divergent factions of southern baptists the more conservative christians who oppose the idea of women becoming religious leaders find themselves at odds with the more progressive group who want to see females leading services yeah boy i mean when we watched the film I remember we, we had a friend that I had a friend that sent it to me 
And he was saying, this is exactly what's happening now. Like you could take mm. the phrases and I, I, we could talk about the continuity and discontinuity from a battle for the minds yeah, well that, to today. But there are so many similarities. Yeah, that's what happened to me. I watched it in February. I thought, this is strange, you know, but I'm living in this world. And so uh, I've, I've kind of heard these things and I didn't make the connection between what was being said on that film and what was going on in our day. But, but there was just some dissonance inside me back in February. And then when you watched it, I think with your sister-in-law and said, have you watched this lately? And I watched it again. Then this friend contacted you and said, this is nuts. And, and watching it that second time, it's like the very arguments that the moderates and progressives were making back in the eighties, uh, some of those very arguments are being made now by conservatives and conservative leaders. And so we thought, this is, this is just insane. So I don't know if you remember, but you texted me or called me. I think you called me on Sunday night after church when you had just watched it with uh, your family or with Whitney and, and uh, uh, Heather. And you said, we need to make a documentary. Settle so, for the Minds too. Yeah, I think it was my Battle initial. for the Minds too. <laughs> And I said, I think that's a great idea, man. Who do we know that makes documentaries? And then we said, well, David Shannon, our friend, you know, has been doing this and has been in movies. And so uh, I think I contacted him initially on this and said, hey, you know, what do you think? Or maybe you did. But it was a, a series of events. He had this major project that had just been canceled maybe that day that he had for the next two weeks. You know, his time blocked off, but now it's free. So from Sunday night to Friday morning, we put things together. He got a film crew together, flew into Birmingham. This is the week before the Southern Baptist Convention. He got into Birmingham Friday morning before the convention with a film crew. I mean, it's just that happened in five days. And we began to try to script out what do we want to do. We figured we'd get some good interviews at the convention. And so I contacted a bunch of guys, and they were agreed to, if they had time, to give us interviews while in Birmingham. And then what happened at the convention in Birmingham just gave us a curveball and uh, things took place that took us a while to really sort through and figure out. And that gave uh, a different kind of direction, same issues, but seeing it in a, a different light than we had before. Yeah. Yeah. You see that the, the issue it, it's interesting, conservative and progressive tied to uh, women in religious leadership, women not in religious leadership. And what happened at the convention, at least the way I would talk about it is we, we saw the issues underneath that was give, that were giving rise to the issue of um, women in religious leadership, that whole conversation. And then those same issues that are underneath that practical uh, issue are underneath other issues. That's right, and it, they began to um, give rise. So it's it's not, you know, as we talked about this film, it was not a merely uh, what's going on in the Southern Baptist no, Convention, no, no. but it's seeing this uh, ideology that is contrary to Christ that we are warned about numerous times in Scripture, um, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, um, through the through human tradition and the basic principles of this world. Uh, Hebrews 2, 1 says uh, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, see that we don't drift away from it. And, it, it, you know, if somebody said, well, so what's the whole, what's the deal Pastorally, why why does this matter? I would say, well, we're we're producing this film because of what happened to Josh Harris. 
Yeah, exactly. That might explain it to somebody. It's one way of explaining it to somebody. You know, the the problem wasn't merely that Josh Harris went and adopted um, a sexual ethic that's contrary to Christ. He did that. But in doing that, that that is the doorway into postmodern postmodernism. Uh, that's postmodernism on the ground, and so he talks about deconstructing uh, his faith. And yeah. So, so there is a there is a philosophy that's contrary to Scripture that will lead people astray. And the Bible mm-hmm. says that they went out from us for they were not of us. And we want to stand against that philosophy and try to identify the ways that that philosophy is manifesting itself, uh, even in some teaching that is occurring in the church. Yeah. I, and when you say that, that, that his new sexuality is a doorway into postmodernism, and you're not disagreeing with the idea that it's postmodernism that led him into his new sexuality. Is that what you're saying? or? No, no, they're they're, just, they're tethered together. Yeah, because I think I think it's the worldview that he imbibed that finally came to, to fruition. Practice. Yeah, you know. So I mean, it's it, and I, I don't think he sat down. I would I wouldn't guess he sat down one day and said, "Hey, I think I'm going to become a postmodernist. Right. I'm going to start thinking this way." But it was the air that was breathing. Yep. and he was buying into it subtly, and that's what you know. It, it doesn't take a lot of discernment to back up. And look at what's going on. I, I think of the last couple of years, and you know, I'm I'm not a uh, political uh, hack for anybody, but just look at how things played out politically. This is one of the things that early on got me when uh, the uh, uh, Roy Moore in Alabama was running, I think, for senator of that state, and all these accusations came out about him, the things that he had done, you know, that were sorted and in decades earlier i didn't know if they're true or not but i listened to some of our evangelical leaders so oh, this is just horrible we can never support a guy like that you've got to distance yourself you can't vote for him uh, okay, okay and then less than a year later the martin luther king jr conference is being held where he's being celebrated and it's being uh, backed by southeastern seminary and together uh, the, the gospel coalition and i asked some of the the leaders of of the that the gospel coalition said, how can you condemn Roy Moore and tell people you, you got to stay away from him and celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. The FBI report had just been released a few months prior or that the fall before I read it and it was sad and tragic what he did to women, according to the FBI files. And they said, well, we're just going to focus on a narrow slice of you know, his life and the civil rights movement. Well, okay, well, the, the man believed unorthodox doctrines at best. That's, that's the best you can say. Maybe heretical doctrines in terms of Christology and doctrine of God. And yet he's being celebrated by these evangelical institutions. And here a political statement was made, you've got to stay away from this guy. You can't even vote for him because of all the stuff he's did, he did. And there's a disconnect there. Well, what's going on? Well, when you understand the worldly ideologies that are at play in our culture, it makes perfect sense because that's exactly what the secularists were doing. But to see that happening in our evangelical institutions and some of our evangelical leaders taking those same stands, alarm bells started going off. So, man, all of that led us to say, we we got to do something. Founders has always been about the gospel, always been about trying to uh, defend the gospel, that Colossians 2.8 passage, you know, Paul says these these uh, philosophies and deceitful uh, ideologies are, are, are the, the deceitful, what's the language he uses? Uh, 
in Colossians. Yeah, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and or empty deceit. Empty deceits, yeah, empty deceits is yeah the, the, the delusions in chapter or in verse four. Empty deceits, he says, are, that are not according to Christ, not according to Christ. Well, man, you can't live a life in submission to the lordship of Christ and use unequal weights and measures in how you're evaluating things that are very similar. And so you, that you, something else is going on. Mm-hmm. Something else is going on. So mm-hmm. those kind of things came to the surface. We thought, what can we do? Uh, documentary. So here we are. Yeah. And um, I, I think that we're here in this film because of what's happening in our society or in our culture. Um, I remember you coming to my office uh, when a burger fell was all rolling out and you were working on it, studying on it, thinking on it. And you said, you know, Roe v. Wade is an abomination, but this Obergefell thing is is something even deeper, something something uh, worse that touches upon the family, which touches upon everything. And I remember thinking, okay, I got to get caught up to speed here. You know, what are the implications going to be? Even back then, I think these kind of ideas we were discussing, and one of the problems is. You know this this film is not aimed at any particular person no. or even any particular groups of people. No particular institution. particular institutions. Yeah. Uh, we are saying we all need to wake up to yeah. these ideologies that are at play in the world. And yes, we do want to demonstrate ways that they appear to be influencing and manifesting themselves in some teaching that has gone about over the past couple of years. But the point is not, oh, well, let's just target these people. The point is, how did we get here? And we need to, we need to all say we've become doctrinally weak. Mm-hmm. We have become cowardly in the way that we're engaging Christ and culture. We have some faulty presuppositions about how we are to do evangelism and how we are to, um, how we are to love people in the world that if we keep those faulty presuppositions, we are going to be wiped out by what's coming. And so really it's, it's a, it's a call to say, Hey, consider again, uh, whose world is this? It's God's world. Whose rules are we to abide by? God's rules. Yeah. What is the standard? The standard is the word of God. Yeah, exactly. And this applies directly to the church as well, which is another thing Founders has always been concerned about is healthy churches. Well, God tells us that his church is the household of God. It's the pillar and ground of truth. And he gives us rules about how the church is to be mm-hmm. organized and operating. And I think it's time for evangelicals to get honest and look at our churches, look at the scripture and say, Lord, we help us. We have neglected very basic teachings about what a church is, how a church is to operate. And, and, and I think there's a layer of naivete as well that I hope this documentary will explode because it's as if we think we're beyond the warnings of scripture. Mm. You know, the, the Colossians 2, 8, Colossians 2, 4, uh, Paul talks about Make sure you're not deluded by plausible arguments. Well, what is a plausible argument? It sounds, sounds legit, right? So, and Paul says we must be careful. And it's as if, yeah, well, that's that's true for other people. But Peter, Peter was influenced by the devil, so that Jesus had to say, you know, "Get behind me, Satan." If that could happen to Peter, am I so arrogant, naive to think it couldn't happen to me? Paul looked at those Ephesian elders said, from among your own midst, uh, there will arise ravenous wolves. 
that can happen to you and me. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that we're not saying, oh, these guys are not brothers. These guys are enemies and we need to, to try to kill them. No, we're saying, hey, brothers, stop, stand, stand back and look, listen, yep. examine right. these things. Absolutely. Well, that's a little peek into um, why we decided to make the film. And when we come back, we actually want to take segment two to talk about um, anticipated objections to the film. What are people going to going to object to about it and try to answer? You think people are going to object to this? I think they're going to have some. Come on, be optimistic. Founders Ministries held its first conference in 1983. Since that time, we've expanded the ministry to produce books and journals and have regional conferences and fraternals to have a study center. Uh, We've done multiple things here in the United States and around the world to seek the recovery of the gospel of God's grace and the reformation of local churches. Our desire has always been to facilitate healthy church living. We want to resource pastors and church leaders. We couldn't have done that without financial supporters through the years. We've never made a big deal about financial support. We've never made great appeals for financial support, but we do need financial resources to do the things that we are doing. We are grateful for those who stood with us, and we would be delighted to have you come and join us in this ongoing fight to see the gospel of Jesus Christ maintain its pride of place in Christian thinking and in our Christian churches. Uh, We've established this new way of giving called the Founders Alliance Membership. I invite you to become a part of the FAM with us. There are different levels at which you can give to become a monthly supporter, or if you just like to make a one-time gift. We would welcome that as well. Uh, There's a big fight in front of us. We have a great concern that is arising among our churches and within the Southern Baptist Convention and beyond. And we would be delighted to have you stand with us, to unite with us, to join arms with us in this fight. Uh, Thanks for your support. Pray for us. If the Lord enables you to invest financially in this ministry, we would welcome that. Well, welcome back to The Sword and the Trial. We're talking about the film, By What Standard, and we want to consider some objections to the film. I, I would boil it down. There's probably going to be a lot of things people say yeah, about the film. I'm still Given trying the fact to, the way, I'm, I'm trying to get my mind around the fact that people might actually object to this yeah, film. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, given the way that the trailer and the preview rolled out, I could see that there, there was definitely some... There was some real hostility that came our way. And so I can't, we can't address every objection. (laughs) We do have time limits. (laughs) One objection was uh, Founders Ministries is trash. So there's no way. That kind of covers the waterfront. It covers the waterfront. But the two objections that I could hear, um, you know, good brothers trying to process all this and this climate. uh, One, this is mean spirited. It's a mean spirited attack. On your brothers, number one. I want to think we should speak to that. Second one, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Mm. There's really mm-hmm. nothing going on here. So why don't we address those? Which one you want to jump on? Well, first? Proverbs 27, 6, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Mm. And uh, yeah, I can speak nice things to you all the time and never contradict you, never challenge you. And you might think I'm the greatest guy in the world, but I'm not helping you. I remember Adrian Rogers, who was uh, one of the foremost leaders in the conservative resurgence. He he said one time, I would rather be thought unloving by being loving than be thought loving by being unloving. Mm. And it is unloving. If you see your brother, going down a bad road and you're not willing to say, Hey brother, you're on a bad road. 
And that that's unkind. If I'm playing with a rattlesnake yep. and I think it's a grass snake and you sit there and watch me thinking, you know, Tom's probably going to get bit and he's going to be poisoned. He might die. And you don't do a thing about it. You don't love me. I mean, how much do you have to hate me I know. to let me do that? Yeah. And look, we all know like the fighting fundy pastor, like we can see that guy, you know, yeah. that would try to use that verse to say, this is why, you know, you ain't worth a nickel. Give me a, <laughs> give me a hug, brother. Like I get that. that. We know that exists. Um, you know, I was talking to one guy, a good guy, uh, that was on the resolutions committee, and he's saying, you know, look, Resolution 9 had its problems, but it's been read with a, I think he said, a hermeneutic of suspicion rather than hermeneutic of trust. And, you know, I said, look, suspicion is bad. We need to point out evil <clears throat> surmising where it happens. Mm-hmm. I said, but, man, if you're sitting at Thanksgiving dinner and one of your brothers stand up and say, hey, you know, I think we should start employing the tools that Mark's created without telling anybody <laughs> that they're Marxist <laughs> tools. I said, when your brother, I mean, you can call me the redneck cousin that nobody likes to have at the party, but I almost say, hold, hold your horses, all right? When, we love you, but mm. listen, yeah, we're going to say something. Can you Can you back up for a minute and make sure that – you know, we're not going to adopt some of the Marxist philosophy that undergirds yeah. these tools. Um, I just, I don't think that's mean-spirited to say to your guy, hey, this is happening. And um, I was thinking, if you, there, there, we, we really do have to stop being so sensitive. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you know, we're teachers in the church, we're going to be held accountable for how we teach. And this has happened in your teaching and my teaching here. We sat down afterwards and said, hey, you know, e- even not only with the words that came out of our mouth, but sometimes the tone, the, the, the way we talk to people. We've said, you know, if you came to me and said, hey, Jared, what you taught here, you actually said something that was an error, mm-hmm. you know? Well, if I go home and rationalize that and say, well, Tom's being mean to me, you know, what am I doing? I'm, I'm ignoring the thing that is actually being said, the, the, the need for me to correct, and I'm making it about something else, about you being mean to me. I should examine myself, knowing I have blind spots, and say, okay, uh, have I really said something? And if I did, I just need to own it. I say, hey, look, I, I taught this. I wrote this. You People have been doing this. There is an errata yeah, at the <laughs> end of books. I mean, all of the greatest heroes of our faith have them. And yes, that's happening at a more rapid pace now because you're standing up and stuff's on video and then where it's being addressed in video. But, you know, your life's not over. Your ministry's not over to just go, right. hey, you know what? I, when I said this, either I didn't mean this, you know, what I meant was this, um, but just clarifying it and not um, not scarecrowing that and saying, well, what's really going on here is you're just being mean to me. Yeah, and in addition to that, you are missing the opportunity to really learn and grow and you're making it far more difficult going forward that we can have the kind of relationship that will be a means of grace in both of our lives to have those conversations. And, and so it's, it's just detrimental. It it shuts down so many things that are good. And and, uh, I learned a long time ago, I'm not, I don't want to be blackmailed emotionally by people. You say, well, you hurt my feelings, you know, and, and says it's as if when they lay that card on the table, I'm hurt that they have the high ground now and you've just got to sit down and be quiet and let them do whatever they want to do. Well, I mean, Jesus offended people. And so the fact that somebody's offended is no guarantee that the reason they were offended is because there was a sinful offense given. 
And that's where I want to have the conversation. You know, we've been trying to call people to have a conversation about this for a long time. The statement on social justice and the gospel that was released last year, uh, people tried to talk us out of releasing it. You know, one SBC exec, you know, said, oh, you guys are just going to make fools of yourself. You know, this is going to be a non-starter. You only got John MacArthur. Nobody pays attention to him. And this is just going to be really bad egg on your face. And so it's been ignored. It's been talked against and quietly had over 11,000 people sign it saying, hey, look, we believe there are serious issues. And still, there hasn't been a willingness to sit down and say, okay, we've got issues. Let's discuss them. Hopefully, uh, you know, this will begin to address some of that. Yeah. You know, the second objection, objection is kind of related, but you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Uh, I've had guys talk to me and say, you know, hey, I don't know anybody that that is employing these tools, you know, especially from the academia. So I went to Southern Seminary, did my doctoral work there. I've got uh, friends there that are trying to think about these issues. Um, some of them very much see them and know that they're present and know that people aren't talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um Others are are saying, well, you know, is this really a problem? Well, I, one of the one of the first things I would I want to make clear is that it's CRT is not it's not merely an academic thing. It's like you can't trace it all in citations. Neil Shinvi, who's done a lot of work on critical theory, recently said this. I dialogued with him a bit. He says I can't get people to admit that this teaching that they're doing is CT. Exactly. I will, he's like I will cite them. I will show the exact connections. Even then people will say, well, you know, well, maybe our Christian brothers don't agree with everything, you know, don't mm-hmm. agree with them. Well, I don't know if they agree with everything that they said. We're just saying this is where this teaching is coming from. Um, but but it's even it's even deeper than that and kind of more pervasive than that. It's not coming down necessarily through citations. You may find some of that. But what I'm concerned about is this: the worldview. The worldview, the way that it's a... It's a moral thing. You know, you're talking about racism, which racism is a sin. Um, you're talking about injustice. Injustice mm-hmm. is a sin. It's an ethical kind of thing. I think in, in many ways, what we're dealing with now is the ethical manifestation of a godless ideology. Well, ethics just happens on the ground. Right. If you're a pastor, you see it. and You see, well, this person's beginning to think that, that this is about power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm trying to just help my brother or help my sister um, correct something, and and they're thinking it's all about me manipulating them by having more power than they do, and so and now they want to get more power than I have to to manipulate things as well. And yeah, you might not say forthrightly, well, yeah, that's my commitments, but you begin to function that way in the way that you live. So yes, it is a it's a pervasive kind of thing, and uh, you you don't need to have. Um, a thousand citations before you go, okay, I can see that, yeah, this worldview really is a problem. Right. Yeah. And what we're trying to do in this documentary is to use people's actual words to let them speak for themselves so that you can hear it. And, and the way that it's being put together, that's been so impactful as I watched that first cut is to see what's being said by these secular progressive proponents of these ideologies and then hear the very vocabulary being used by evangelicals inside the church and our institutions. Now, again, I've I've dialogued with some of those folks, one in particular who said, I categorically reject critical race theory. And yet his language is exactly the Mm -hmm. language that comes out of critical race theory. And for those guys, for the guys that actually have said this stuff and taught this stuff, just say, okay, look, when I said whiteness, I did not mean this. 
I just meant yeah. that, like, I don't know, you'd be like mayonnaise or something. I don't know, whatever you, you know, whatever people want to joke about. I didn't mean these kind of. But I'm going to ask them, why are you even using the word? Right, and but I want to give, I want to give guys. Okay, Here, here's the way out. You, you can, you know, you can be a little woke. You can be woke-ish. People just need to admit this. Is that like a little pregnant? You can be woke I'm a little pregnant. <laughs> no, well, maybe we need to dialogue about this. Can you be a little pregnant? No, you can't be a little pregnant. But but um, this is, you know, there is a, Joshua Harris is an example. You don't go to bed one night, um, you know, fully committed to a uh, transcendent God and an authoritative Bible and then wake up the next morning. Yeah, uh, he's you, been breathing air, man. You know, so, yes, so. Woke-ish is what I'm trying to say. What I what degrees, I, maybe degrees. Mm. I want I want to give all these people sure. an opportunity to say, look, look, I I got caught up and I, yeah. I I've got some I got some foundations that were wrong and it made me think about this issue wrong and and it doesn't mean you're uh, it doesn't mean you're a heretic. No, it doesn't mean you. So so <laughs> I really want guys to get back on track and then I want I want all the other guys that are looking at the film to go this isn't just about one two three four five six people or institutions no, 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 no. at least see that the world knows this I mean you're going to hear some teaching from Glenn Sunshine that's great this is the way America works like that's this right. is the this is the air that we breathe it's this in our the, academies in politics pragmatic philosophy you can go back to John Dewey and go back to all these guys yeah so so you, you have to see that that way of thinking is going to influence us, and it has influenced us. And, yes, we may be early on it. Well, praise God. I mean, we're happy yeah. to be the guys that said yeah. it when Sound it was the early. alarm. We're not trying to be uh, arrogant or anything like that, but just go, yeah, okay, let's stop it now before yeah. we end up, you know, PCUSA. And, and, and that, that's exactly why I, I've said repeatedly we're being played we're being played. You know, we look at the problems. We see the injustices. We see racism. We see women being treated poorly. We see uh, people with sexual dysphoria being treated poorly. And so there's a, a desire to, to make that right. And then here comes this ideology. So, okay, we're going to make it right. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. And with that sense of sorrow and maybe even guilt that people have, they get played into uh, trying to provide a cure that is far worse than the disease. Yeah. And that's what's happening across our yeah. nation and it's coming into our evangelical circles. Yeah. And it is pervasive. I mean, I want, there's just, there's, see, almost like you watch the train wreck coming. There's, there's hope. We're going to get to hope in the next segment, but we have some messed up stuff. One of the things that we have is, is this, you know, um, there won't be a Southern Baptist convention if we don't do this, if we don't prove to the eyes of the watching world that we love them. Now well, you're not saying that you're quoting. What's that? You're not, you, that's not your claim. That's no, that's, you, that's a phrase that Philip Bethencourt used right. at the recent carrying well ERLC right. conference. And, and you know, th- that what he said there is what many SBC leaders say. It's like, it's this <laughs> subtext. It's subtext. And I want to step back in for a minute and say, okay, no, we're the biggest denomination in the United States. Okay. So it's just interesting. Even that is interesting language to be using in, in those moments. Um, but we need to really love the world. We, we're not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to um, become uh, friends with the world and then say, yes, we'll buy into your um, presuppositions to your beliefs so that we can convince you that, that we really care for you. 
not with the ideology that's coming upon us. And that's kind of something that's been around for a long time in the way that we think about Christ and culture and the way that we think about evangelism. Yes, we should uh, become all things to all men. That's absolutely this kind of incarnational idea. Well, absolutely. We shouldn't be uh, unnecessarily offensive or anything like that. But uh, when Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword, we, you know, the very bedrock of our gospel is you have rebelled against right. God right. and there is hell that is set before you and we don't want you to go there. You know, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to preach the gospel without it being offensive. Yeah, That's you, what it, exactly what it is. You can't, you can't nice people into heaven. Can't be nice enough to get people to heaven. That yeah. won't happen. So there's a number of things that we really do need to firm up on. For those guys that are in um, in pastoral leadership uh, addressing this issue, there's a number of books we've talked about in the past. Aside them, and then we'll go to our next segment here. But Melvin Tinker's book, you know, read that. that on, hideous um, strength. That hideous. How strength. the West was lost. Um, read um, No Place for Truth by David, David Wells. Wells. Read all of Wells' stuff to get yep. brought up to speed on on these issues. Other ones that come uh, up. Shelby Steele, his book um, uh, White Guilt mm-hmm. is very, very helpful to clarify a lot of things that are happening in American culture. Uh, Steve Hicks' book on postmodernism also just helps to see how these things have come to fruition really in the last three or four decades here in the West. So those would be good ones to start with. Yeah, and do get do get an introduction to uh, critical race theory by Richard Delgado. Delgado. Knowing Delgado is just a, he's not a Christian. I, I don't know a ton about his background. He's a leading uh, proponent of critical race theory, and you can see the connections to um, radical feminism to postmodernism to Gramsci, which he yeah. very happily cites. As, yeah. Let me mention a couple other resources. You know, we've been trying to address this now for the last year or two in Founders, and so uh, the conference we had last January, uh, Bodie Balkum's talks specifically mm-hmm. uh, on cultural Marxism and ethnic Gnosticism are powerful. Your talk on sexuality is very significant. And then the National Founders Conference uh, that was held in Louisville earlier this year. All of those audios and videos are available at uh, our Founders site, so you can go search them there. We've got a bunch of articles that we've written on this as well over the last couple of years, so I encourage folks to access those resources. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about our hopes for the film. And I can assure you, I don't want to go the way of any organization that says, we think critical race theory and intersectionality are good tools to use. And the folks that want us to believe that, uh, they got, I, they're going to have to do a lot of explaining to me to convince me, because I just don't, I, I think it was disingenuous. Can you use them for analytical tools? Yeah, they've been used, used for that. Is that the way most people use them today? Not at all. Not at all. Welcome back to The Sword and the Trial. Today we're talking about the film By What Standard, and uh, we want to finish up here in our last segment by talking about our hopes for the film. Uh, What do we want to see? I want an Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> other than that I think you're going to be disappointed <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, do they, what do they call those uh, movie awards I forget what they call them 
at the Oscar. Is it Oscar? Emmys? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but whatever it is, we want that. That's our goal. That's why we made this film. There you go. Apart from that, um, we really do want to sound an alarm. Uh, you know, we've, we've paid a high price for doing this. Mm -hmm. And we have faced um, a great deal of opposition and intimidation, attempted intimidation, um, a lot of ridicule, a lot of threats. You know, it's just been a lot. It's been a, been a price to stay the course on this documentary. And as recently as last week, we're being exhorted and ridiculed to spike it, not let it come out. So why would we do this? Well, we're convinced that what's going on is really dangerous. It's deadly. It is not according to Christ. And if it's not stopped, if it's not seen, resisted, then those who imbibe it are going to wind up on a bad road and they're going to lead a lot of people away from Jesus Christ. So, I mean, that, that, that's the big concern. That's the big goal is that alarms will be sounded and pastors primarily, church leaders, will say, oh, you know, I never heard of this stuff. I need to get up to speed. Or say, you know, well, that explains some of the things I've been thinking or seeing but hadn't been able to put my finger on. And we need to guard our congregation. We, we, pastors are shepherds of God's people. We are to shepherd the church of God. And man, uh, Jesus as the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And as a pastor, I want to have that same spirit to follow my Lord in that. So significantly, maybe most significantly, it is calling attention to and giving some tools for people to use to see what's going on and to realize that as Christ's people, we must stand against this rising up of uh, ideas and approaches to thinking about ministry and life that will be disastrous spiritually. Yep. yep. Yeah, I hope that pastors... Um, I mean, our goal is that, to get pastors to see this, to see, um, you know, note the people that have walked away from the faith in your ministry. Note the way that some of your young people are thinking mm -hmm. about um, ethics and uh, identify the philosophies that are there. We've had people um, walk away from the faith. They just walked away from the yeah. faith. And I'm convinced that they've done so because they've been discipled. They've been discipled by these worldly ideologies. And it's going to take pastors to see that, uh, to see the areas that they haven't been fighting in. I think mm. C.S. Lewis talks about this. You know, there's a war going on, and uh, you can be swinging your sword really well over here on the left front, and there's nothing happening on the left front. Right. The fight's on the right front, and they're infiltrating. And over there, it's going to be costly to fight. Um, but you're going to have to see that there are souls at stake. Yeah. That's exactly what this is. And then you realize, you know what? I just really haven't, um, I haven't, I haven't emphasized these because you can do that. You know, I, was, I recently went, um, kind of in, into a, um, a more rural area to teach on, uh, issues of manhood and womanhood. And interestingly there, they have not been, they haven't got the full fledged LGBTQ chaos. Um, and so they've got a lot of kind of tradition that's still there, but, they're like halfway there. Mm -hmm. 
to where I, I, I imagine there's many ministers that will go through Ephesians 5, but when they get to wives, submit to your husbands and all things, you know, you say it and you say a couple sentences about it and then you qualify and qualify and qualify and you make sure you, you know, you, you just, as a teacher of God's word, you feel a little bit of pressure and therefore you, you, you feel like, okay, I still said what I needed to say, but you're responding to all of that pressure. You're, you're thinking, I want to say it in this way that I think is still faithful, but you really didn't. You didn't take the word and apply it to where it needed to be applied, yeah. to where the issues really were. And I was struck how um, how I went there and, and just taught the word, and I made the appropriate qualifications and all on, on that particular issue. And we could think of what, whatever issues there, and it was like life giving. I mean, the men and the women, like, thank you so much. You know, it's like just on the women's issue. It's funny. I preach Proverbs thirty one here. And, uh, you know, preached the word and talked about what this godly woman does. And it was striking to me that I get done and the woman, a couple came up, the woman was so thankful and the man was, was cut to the core about the way that he hadn't loved his wife when I was rolling out the Proverbs 31 mm-hmm. woman. Like I haven't, I haven't esteemed her. She's been doing all these great <laughs> things for me. I haven't even thought about them because well, the culture doesn't think about them. Right. The culture doesn't honor them. So I haven't honored them and now she's not honoring them. And uh, that's happening on so many fronts. It is. You know, we're so screwed up there. Yeah, and so I think, you know, a big picture, what what would be, what, what do we really want to happen? I don't think the, this uh, film's going to do this, but maybe it'll be used of God to awaken people to think about our need. But, brother, we, we need revival. Mm-hmm. We need Reformation revival. We need repentance. And, and by that, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the people that we're going to cite in the film that we think are, or maybe being played along this line that they need to repent. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about our church. I'm talking about uh, Southern Baptist Convention, evangelicals that have been patting our back on, or patting ourselves on the back for you know decades now. About look at us. We believe the Bible. When our churches are filled with unregenerate members, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how the Southern Baptist Convention can continue. Those in leadership who have voices can continue to be silent. And and not speak about this every time they open their mouths. Yep. When we look and say we we and see we've got fifteen million on our rolls and we can't find half of them and a quarter of them will show up sometime, and that's not the be all end all determiner of what our churches are like, but that's a pretty good objective standard to begin with to, mm-hmm. to start evaluating. Okay, a church that has ten thousand members. And they're blown away to have as many as three thousand showing up because they they've never had that before. What does that say? I know we we got problems. And deep problems. I want to I want to make sure people make the connection between this film it has a lot to do with CRT and intersectionality and a in a in a um, Marxist philosophy that those kind of things and and the Word of God um, in this issue of regenerate church membership. Mm-hmm. Like let's, let's make the connections. Fifth, we say we have fifteen million. And then the, we, we do release the stats about how many people come to church. I oh, think yeah. it's around 7 million. That, that was the last thing, like, in attendance at, at church. I, on I don't know. Maybe or, so. If it's that high, that's, that's unusual. So it's about half or something like that. Like, why do you do that? If I were talking to pastors, why are you telling everybody that your church is twice as big as it really is? Mm-hmm. Why do you do that? Mm-hmm. Is it... Is it because you're hungry for power? Is it, why won't you just, why won't you deal with reality and say, 
this is what we are. Yeah. I, I, there's so much baked into the fact that we won't, why won't the shepherd say, you know, if you don't come to church here, we've got to do something about that. We can't keep pretending that you do come to church here. Why do we have that culture as, as a denomination? It, it's it, directly related to these it, things. It is absolutely. And it goes even to more fundamental questions. And what you asked is, does the Bible say anything about this? I mean, does the Word of God say anything about a church that has 10,000 members and only 3,000 on the best day in its history show up? Yeah, the Bible has something to say about that. What Does the Bible have anything to say about church members who uh, go off and commit adultery and live in adultery without repentance? Yeah, the Bible has something to say about it. Does the Bible have anything to say about uh, men who abuse women in churches? Yes. Men who abuse children? Yes. Does the Bible have anything to say about authoritarian leaders in church? Yes. And yet we're, oh, we're inerrantists. We're inerrantists, but we're going to keep our Bibles closed and we're going to do church because we got to do church to keep things going. And, and God have mercy on us. God, we need revival. We need repentance. And, and we're not getting out of this mess, I'm convinced, short of God coming down by his spirit. So one of the things I've been increasingly convicted of as this film has progressed to its uh, hopefully soon culmination is I need to be praying far more than I have. And and God's really convicted me, humbled me about that. I hope to write about that soon. Um, We need what only God can do. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, may this film be used. Um, to encourage God's people, and particularly pastors, to say, you know what, uh, we can just kind of grow um, lukewarm. Mm. We can grow to where we're not fighting the way that we need to be fighting and paying attention the way we need to be paying attention and seeing to it the way that we need to be seeing to it. May God use it to um, highlight what is going on and may yeah. the church rise up and do what the church has done throughout all of history yeah. and um, to proclaim the gospel faithfully, to proclaim God's law faithfully. And and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He Amen. rules and he reigns no matter what. So thank you to all those who have helped us with this synodoc thus far. Uh, one of our supporters has generously given a matching gift. We encourage you, if you've not given and God has put it on your heart, you have the means to do so above and beyond what you do in supporting your church, uh, to give and help us to see this project through to completion. Uh, We want to thank our fan members, folks that have joined the Founders Alliance and either as a church or an individual member. Uh, We're doing a lot of things. And in fact, we got some announcements to make about after the Synodoc uh, with projects that are already going to be in the works by the time that one comes to completion. And it's through the ongoing support and commitment of folks who want to partner with us in this fight that we're able to do those types of things. You know, we got the conference coming up. Should we give away some registrations to that conference? Yeah, we want to do that. All right. Let's do that. Let's give away five registrations. If you will go to iTunes and give a review of the this podcast, what's the name of it? Sword and, the, sword the Sword and, and the, the trial. trial. That's it. Give away, uh, you, you'll do a review of that on iTunes and do a screenshot of your review and email it to us. Then we will send you a free registration to the Founders Conference next month, December 5th through 7th, here in Cape Coral, Florida. I hope to see you then. It really is going to be a good conference. It is going to be a good one. Should we tell them who's coming? The the new Um, edition? Nah, they can find out later. All right. (laughs) 